We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of John Carpenter's The Fog on February 8th, 1980. It was written by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter and directed by John Carpenter and released by Avco Embassy Pictures, which I am not especially familiar with. Uh, apparently especially familiar with i am not especially not at all <laughs> not at all well i i'm familiar with a film <laughs> one at least f- one film <laughs> um i guess an early cut of the film that uh carpenter turned in was 80 minutes long and they were like this should be longer and so he shot that whole scene with uh houseman at the beginning mm-hmm. that was added on later um, oh, like the the, the old man story telling the kids the story oh, yeah. that's that's like one of the best parts i thought it was pretty pretty well done yeah um, and it was done on a soundstage, um, but most of the rest of it was shot on locations. Um, the budget was a million dollars for the production, which I think goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and three million was spent on marketing. Literally <laughs> three times the, the production budget was spent on marketing. It ended up making twenty-one million, so that's good. Um, Carpenter at the time was married to Adrian Barbeau, who plays Stevie, the woman on the radio. Um, this was her first film. Um, and, uh, the John Houseman stuff at the beginning was a single shoot day. Um, so yeah, the very beginning of the movie is John Houseman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> America's favorite old fart sitting in front of a campfire, <laughs> reading a book. No, he's, uh, he's holding a stopwatch or like a pocket watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's telling them the story of a shipwreck, the, the shipwreck of the Elizabeth Dane at Spivey Point in Antonio Bay exactly 100 years ago tonight. Um, like literally right now, like right. this minute, like, 100 years ago. Um, and it's the witching hour. The It's very important that the time of after, between midnight and one, the the time after midnight is the is a key thing for this movie. Yeah. Um, so we go from the campfire with all these kids hearing this story um, to a church where Father Malone is closing up for the night and pouring himself a glass of wine, which he offers... To his assistant Bennett, mm-hmm. played by John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> that was John Carpenter. Yeah, who, and he's like, uh, "Can I get my money?" And he's yeah. like, "Why don't you come in an hour late tomorrow?" He looks like, so okay. young. Yeah, that was him. Huh. But I just think it's like a like it's like a metaphor. Can I get paid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, that's all right. Um, but yeah, Father Malone here is Hal Holbrook, and. Uh, he is sitting there drinking some wine and Bennett has already left and he's hearing these weird sounds and suddenly a rock falls out of this like stone wall that he has and smashes on his desk and he looks up to where it fell out of the wall and there's a diary. But See, that's as far as he goes in. <laughs> he does not look an inch further yeah. than that diary. Yeah. Well, I, th- I thought like at first I thought he was like having this moment of like, Oh, that rock could have hit me because he looks really disoriented by yeah. the fact that well, this rock fell Well, he's also probably, that's probably not his first yeah. glass of wine. <laughs> that, well, yeah. Or first bottle. And uh, yeah, so like you said, he he doesn't look any further into the hole than the diary. He also only reads up to a certain page of the diary. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, I can't read any further. I only know these letters. 
Um, <laughs> so weird stuff is happening all over town, and we're getting kind of a montage of it. Phones are ringing, and like payphones are literally just dumping coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs are barking everywhere. Gas pumps are just gushing all over the yeah. ground. Electronic equipment is just going haywire. Cars are honking. Uh, we get a credit that says music by John Carpenter, which is the case in most, uh, of most John Carpenter yeah. movies. And well, what was the, there was another weird credit though, electronic right there. realization. Yeah, what the hell is electronic by, realization? By Dan Wyman, that he was the orchestrator and synth programmer for the film. So, what, so, so John Carpenter wrote the music and well, probably on a keyboard, and he would performed program it. it. Yes. Okay. Or programmed it into a computer to perform because a lot of their stuff yeah, is like synth and. Wendy okay. Carlos-esque. So uh, then we cut to Elizabeth uh, hitching a ride with Nick. Elizabeth is the Jamie Lee Curtis character hitchhiking. And uh, Nick pulls over to give her a ride. Not just Nick. <laughs> His name is Nick Castle. <laughs> which Nick Castle is the name of the actor who plays Mike Myers in Halloween. He literally just named a character after. And not only that, but... Later, we'll have a character named Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as soon as I know the name, I recognized it because um, he wrote Alien. Yeah. But he also wrote like Dark Life, Star. And Life Force. And... Yeah, but Dark Star he wrote for John Carpenter. That was right. his first feature film, which is actually really, really similar to Alien and came out like six years earlier or five years earlier. But Dark Star is kind of more of a comedy. Right. But they're written by the same guy. Um, but uh, yeah, so he, he just named a lot of the characters in this movie after... Uh, his own friends and people, people well, he's personally interacted that's like with. An, that's like an improv trick, though. You know, you just, like, use use names of people that you know so right, that you don't forget you use, what you called like, your scene partner. Right. <laughs> you would use, like, a first or a last name, not, like, full-on just the person's <laughs> name. It's like in, um, is it Hot Fuzz, where Nick Angel is the name of the main character, but he's also the guy who arranged all the music for the movie. So in the credits you see like Nick Angel's name in the beginning. And we also worked well, with Yeah, we worked Nick with Angel Nick Angel once. At the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, Elizabeth is hitching a ride with Nick Castle mm-hmm. uh, and she's first testing him to see if he's weird by asking, "Are you weird?" Are you weird? And he's like, "Yeah, I'm weird." And she's like, "Okay, good." Cuz oh, the thank last God. people I got right from were not right. weird. Even though she just told him, "Oh, I've never done this before." Right. But obviously she has. She's in the middle of nowhere on the yeah. side of the road. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, they drive probably another 500 feet before suddenly all the windows of the car explode. Mm-hmm. Which I think if I were either one of them, I would have blamed on the other person. Like either this hitchhiker has something in her backpack that blew out my windows or... Or they hit something. Yeah. Right. Right. But they it's... don't... There's nothing that they could have crashed into there just in the middle of the road. Like somewhere. I do feel like I would have tried to investigate those breaking no, 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 windows no. Just a little bit. start it back up and start driving again. Which is what they do. Uh, then we meet Stevie, who is hosting a late night talk show on KAB, mm-hmm. which is a radio show hosted from the top floor of a lighthouse. This is KAB, Antonio Bay, California. Six minutes after midnight. Haven't heard from the weatherman yet, so I can't say for sure about that rain. But there's a full moon and no clouds in the sky. Mm-hmm. The top of the world. Right. The top of the world. And she mentions Which is the bottom of a cliff. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's way, way, way <laughs> low down. Slightly lower. Than I mean, the it's top clearly a real world. lighthouse, but yeah, yeah. I feel like those are usually built on on a high point, not so far down, close to the water. But, mm-hmm. um, but she mentions in her broadcast that there's a party tonight for the hundredth anniversary of the founding of the town, which apparently coincided exactly with the shipwreck. Right. Um, well, the t- the town was 
found in after the ship. Right, right. Exactly after it. So she gets a call from Dan O'Bannon mm-hmm. uh, with some weather information. And he tells her that there's a fog bank blowing in uh, from the east. And that it's going to hit a ship called the Seagrass that's out there. And so maybe give a shout out to the Seagrass and let them know there's a fog bank coming in. I don't know why. Is a fog bank dangerous to boats? It would, I mean, it would, it would prevent you from... You know, seeing your route back to land. I guess they weren't in motion or anything. Like, yeah, what but, are you going to do, steer her around it? But I think, well, one, this is before the days of GPS. I guess. And uh, so, unless they were anchored, which I don't think that they were. I think that they were probably... Just free-floating? Free-floating or trolling or... Uh, it's supposed to be some kind of fishing vessel. Right, and they're not supposed to be out there all night. Either. Right. Yeah. But they're just sitting there drunk. They're not, like, right. they're not like actively fishing. Um so we, we see them on the on the ship just drunk talking to each other about how hot this woman on the radio probably is. Mm. And one of them's like, oh, yeah, my son plays soccer with her kid. And yeah, you would like her. And he's like, oh, she has a kid. Like he's suddenly <laughs> not interested even though he has kids. And I like the, the old guy's like, there's no fog bank. Out yeah, he's there. like looking out the windows and like <laughs> calling her bluff. And then he goes, hey, there's a fog bank. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and she also, uh, after she gives them the weather conditions, she says, Meantime, relax with me while I play this song from the Coupe de Ville's, dedicated just to you. Which is the name of John Carpenter's band, the one that performs <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, we it, Is the song actually one of their songs? Yeah. The crew of the Seagrass see this fog blowing in and decide that they're going to move up to the top of the ship where they're very unceremoniously killed off yeah by pirates looming out of the fog like silhouettes of pirates just black figures and Mm -hmm. with hooks and knives getting stabbed through the chest and stuff and uh and one guy dick is just getting stabbed in the eyes (laughs) yeah Um, later referred to as the the orbit the ocular orbit (laughs) is that what he calls it that's what the doctor calls it i was like okay um and now we move back to Nick Castle and Elizabeth have already consummated their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took that long. Yeah, that's... He's, so, like, hey. he's like way older than her. Yeah. It's super creepy. This is like her second or third movie. I think it's her second movie. Hey, you know what they say? Like, ass, gas, grass. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, this guy is closer... Is much closer to her mom's age I don't think age. that's true. No, I think I think he's probably it's at least true. ten. Oh, oh, oh! You already looked it up. <laughs> I already looked it up. Well, there it is. I mean, she doesn't. I'm not. I wouldn't say she looks exceptionally old, but he looks closer to her age in this movie. But what what are their ages? Uh, I think he. I think he was. He's eight years younger than her mom, and oh wow, he's like twenty years older than her. Okay, I guess I'm just so used to her being older. Let's see. She was born in fifty eight. What's this guy's name again? Tom Atkins. Yeah. Tom Atkins. He founded a diet. The South Beach diet. And he, and he, was, he was born in 35. <laughs> Such a dumb joke. 35? Yeah. Okay. And then what about Lee? 58. 58? She wasn't born in 58. Janet Lee, not Jamie Oh, Lee. sorry. She was, she was two in Psycho? She looked so much older than two in Psycho. 
I always see. I'm so. I was always confused about the the Janet Lee, Jamie Lee, because I always assumed that their Lees. Lees were spelled the same way. Oh, but what, like your not. your middle name and your sister's middle name? <laughs> yeah, but those they're are, both Lee those, and they're both spelled those are middle names. Like I assumed that she had named her daughter after herself, but like that well, they're not, not spelled the same. I don't. I don't know. Well, the is, but is is Jamie so, Lee Curtis her given name? I thought it was. I mean, Curtis, obviously. Curtis, yeah. Uh, so she, uh, Janet Lee was born in 1927. Okay. So 27 to 58. No, 27 to 35. I'm talking about the two women. Oh, okay. Or 27 and 58. Yeah. So 35, eight years. Yeah. Okay. So he is older than I thought. Or she's younger than I thought. Um, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So super creepy. Sure. <laughs> I don't think it's super creepy. I've seen worse. Well, that's because society tells you that it's totally acceptable for young women to sleep with Look, much older I men. I would say if she were under, like, eight, it would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> no. God, no, that would be a crime. Oh, right, yeah. That's what I meant. That's what I meant by weird. Crimes are weird. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, they're getting a knock at the door while they share a cigarette under the blankets, presumably naked. Looking at her artwork. Right, she's yeah. She has like a sketchbook, um, and uh, and someone's knocking at the door, and we're getting little glimpses of it through because it's a translucent door, mm-hmm. and uh, the person is knocking like we see from the outside too. The person is knocking with a hook on right. the door, but then the fog clears, and by the time he gets the door to answer it, there's nobody there anymore. Right at, at the at the stroke of one after the witching hour. Right, the next morning, uh, Andy. The son of Stevie, who runs the radio station, played by Adrian Barbeau. Um, Andy is walking along the beach and sees a doubloon on the rocks. Mm -hmm. And he goes to pick it up, but the water splashes up over it. And when the water washes away, suddenly there's a big piece of driftwood here. And it's a part of the Elizabeth Dane. Right. It's got the the name on it. It says Dane. Right. And uh, so he picks that up because he's like, oh, cool, wood. Was more interested in the gold. I'd probably keep looking for the gold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. I wouldn't assume that it literally transmogrified into wood. I would be like, oh, it this is on top of the gold, away. or yeah. it fell. Um, but so he takes the uh, he takes the big piece of wood, um, and then we see Nick and Liz have gone to the docks where the seagrass left because he's trying to meet the guys that are supposed to be back from their fishing trip by now, and they never came back. Uh, now we cut over to. Kathy and Sandy. Well, so, well, Kathy is the the councilwoman. She yeah. she's, she's not the mayor, uh, but she is featured more than the mayor is in the movie. Uh, yeah, she's a councilwoman. She's in charge of putting the together the 100 year celebration. Right. And her assistant Sandy is just like sassy comeback. Yeah, she's very sarcastic mm. and constantly making fun of Kathy. But Kathy is also not putting up with her shit. Right, but they, they have a fun relationship. Yeah. Like, they, they're, they're not enemies or they don't hate each other. It's just, just part of what they do. Yeah, so they're here near the church to approve a statue that's being installed to commemorate, like, the lives lost in the shipwreck. Right. As a memorial. And uh, they're like, oh, it's not terrible. Like, they look under, they, mm-hmm. like, peek under the sheet and they're like, oh, it doesn't look... As awful as I expected it to, um, we're we're cutting back and forth a lot between right. them here and uh, Nick uh, and yeah. There's essentially three main character groups, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's the DJ mother and her son, these 
the two women that are planning the festivities mm-hmm. and uh, Nick Castle and Elizabeth. Right. Um, who are investigating the disappearance of this ship. So uh, they find the, the ship, but it looks like it's abandoned. And they start to move below decks. Kathy and Sandy are driving and Kathy explains that in the middle of the night, her dog just started barking, like facing the ocean, just barking out into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And that Al never came home that night. So she's like, oh, well, you should be at home. Like, what are you doing out here? And she's like, no, no, no I got to keep myself busy. And home is the last place I want to go because my dog's driving me crazy. Um, and Sandy says, that's weird. My car alarm went off around the same time, which I think we get a, a shot of right, in, right. The, in the earlier montage. She's like looking out her window at the car alarm. And then suddenly a chair slides across her living room, mm-hmm. which I feel like that's probably what I would bring up to someone. Not like, yeah. my car alarm <laughs> went off. I would be like, oh, my chair just moved halfway across the room right in front of me. Um, but yeah, so they go to visit Father Malone, Hal Holbrook, and he tells them, hey, so I found this diary. Uh, it's my grandfather's diary. It was in the wall here. And uh, so that shipwreck, that, that happened on purpose. Wait, so this this must not be like a Catholic priest, right? Because your grandfather isn't a priest if you're a priest or some... I don't know. Illegitimate don't know things have happened. <laughs> I, I was a priest like my father and his father before him. <laughs> I think that this particular priest has done other things that disqualify him. Other than having children, I think murdering boats full of people is probably worse. <laughs> oh, I mean, fair he, enough. I mean, Touche. <laughs> we, we don't know that he could be uh, the brother? <laughs> no, they could be like Protestant, Lutheran? I don't know. One of them can marry. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Either way, uh, he's, he's like, yeah, so I started to read this diary, but then it got real hot and heavy, and I put it down <laughs> on this page, and I didn't read any further. But... Uh, what I did read is that uh, there was a bunch of lepers and they were going to start a colony just north of us. Um, and this is on the West Coast, right? They're mm-hmm. in California. Correct. Um, a fictional town in California. Right. But it was all filmed up in uh, like Marin County. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so they were going to start a town just north and the, fa- the grandfather, the priest, uh, was terrified of having a bunch of lepers living there. Right. So they said instead of leading them to shore with a safe lighthouse, they're going to start a campfire mm-hmm. near the rocks to specifically lure them into crashing their ship. Right. And there were there were six conspirators that all total. agreed to do this. Right. I don't know why it takes six people to start a campfire. <laughs> Probably could have done it on his own, saved a lot of souls. Um, but he didn't. And so they did this campfire and everything went off without a hitch. Well, but it wasn't, almost but without it, a hitch. But it wasn't just to stop the leper colony. It was also to, they knew that the the guy who was the head of the leper colony had a lot of gold. Had a How lot does of, one become the head of a leper, co- leper well, colony? You lose the most a, fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you have the most gold. Then, uh, so. Or maybe you have the most fingers. That is, <laughs> uh, in, in the world of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Right. <laughs> the, world, the world of the skunks, the man with half a nose is king. <laughs> I don't know what that's from. That's from Dirty Work. Chris Farley. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Sing the song, boys! Sing the song, boys! Bow and kneel before me! (laughs) Jimmy! Release the skunks! Okay, I got it, I got it, I'm on it. Um, But yeah, so... 
these lepers struck it rich somehow. <laughs> I, I think a rich guy got leprosy. <laughs> what? I don't think that the lepers I think it won the lottery. I think no. that a rich guy yeah, Blake, caught the disease. Blake now, Richard, maybe disease. you can solve this mystery between us. I think that they all had hooks because they're lepers. But she says that they're just fishermen and pirates, and that's why they have hooks. I didn't say they were pirates. They're fishermen. They have but fishermen they weren't. Hooks. They were just on a boat, traveling on a boat. Yeah, no, the, I don't think that they were fishermen. This is the coast. This is, they, they, have, they have their fishing. I think fishing they had hooks how because you they're lepers. No, you don't. That's why all these ghosts have hooks. They, their hands lepers. didn't drop off, and they didn't replace them with hooks. They had fishermen hooks. They were the kinds that have handles that you hold onto with whatever fingers That's you have how left. Captain Hook works, though. <laughs> well, uh, here, here's what I will say. Um, I disagree that they lost their arms and replaced them with hooks. <laughs> Um, but I also disagree that this is a fishing vessel. We'll we'll learn a story later. It's uh, also clearly like a galleon when it pulls yeah. up. Um, we'll we'll learn a story later that it seems because uh, I have questions about the rules. Because sure, Tom, I agree with that. Tom Some Atkin, of which are answered by the the novelization of the film. Because yeah, Tom Atkins says, "Oh, there was a time where another ship was lost." It's like, "Oh, so this doesn't happen every hundred years. This happens all the time." Like well, it's the, also just the West Coast before, you know, GPS. You know, you crash into rocks. It just happens. Yeah, but the, the, he specifically mentions the gold doubloon and, and the... Right. Well, because I'm, I'm leading us back into the right. discovery of the seagrass here. Part is, of the plan was not only to kill all these lepers, but because they have a lot of gold right. on board that they can go and recover. Right. But getting back to the seagrass, which is part of this where I'm leading yes. here, is that the state of the seagrass where he says, like, everything's rusted... And this isn't that old of a ship. Yeah, it looks like it's been underwater. Like. Right. And Tom Atkins tells a story about his father who had found a ship. And like there was a fresh cup, cup of coffee that was in a metal cup that was still steaming hot. But the saucer rusted. had rusted to yeah. the table. Uh, and so whatever... Uh, so the, these ghosts attack... At, at random. It doesn't seem to be anything that particularly that calls them. It's also weird that we... Of the three men that were killed on the ship, we only find one body, and we never right. we never locate the other two bodies. Well, I kind of wonder if they join, join the, ranks. the ranks because yeah. this body that they find reanimates, reanimates. in right. morgue. So yeah, so they they uh, he, uh, basically after he he says all this stuff and he's like, yeah, they killed all these people and took all their gold, and that's as much as I've read of the diary, and you know it's kind of boring. I, I just stopped to reading read there. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I got a lot of Breaking Bad to catch up on. (laughs) It just bored me. Was it like the Scott Pilgrim? This is boring. (laughs) Delete. (laughs) We're fighting over Ramona? Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. Mm -mm. You will pay for your... But yeah, he... uh... They're like, okay, wow. So you're going to give your speech, though, uh, to talk about the, the lives that were lost? He's like... Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. My grandpa murdered all those people. <laughs> we're, we're, See, yeah, this is highly inappropriate. Yeah, well, we're celebrating murder. Super offensive for me to give that speech at this point. I, and I love like Janet Lee like looks at her watches, just like like pointing her watch at Sandy. He's like, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's for the best. He's Let's like, oh, just yeah, move that's, on. That's crazy. Anyway, uh, we got to go. We could still have the festivities, the big party for all the murders, um, and. Uh, and so they're like, all right, well, you know what? You don't need to give us. Nobody needs to give a speech. We'll just head out. Um, and then Nick and Liz on the boat find the body, mm-hmm. one of the three bodies, the one with its eyes stabbed out of its head. 
and uh, they bring it back to the mainland. Right. Um, Stevie gets the piece of driftwood from her son and takes it to work with her for some reason. <laughs> um, she sets it down on uh, a stack of eight tracks. Mm-hmm. and uh, It starts leaking. <laughs> yeah, it just starts dripping water magically while she's listening to like the startup recordings in the morning yeah, yeah. on the radio program. And uh, before she can start her show, suddenly the whole table is wet enough that like it's literally shorting out her equipment. There's this weird broadcast playing by itself. And the word um, Dane on this piece of wood has been replaced with the words six must die. Mm-hmm. And she grabs a fire extinguisher to put out the fire <laughs> of all the equipment catching on fire from oh, the water. Oh, was that, was that the equipment catching fire? I thought the, the, just a piece, of the wood. piece of wood could just randomly, like it after just, it randomly oh. started leaking, it also randomly you caught burst, fire. Burst oh, I thought fire. it was because it was on top of electronics. No, no it was I on think top it of just like a started... wooden cabinet of, oh, okay. of tapes. Yeah. Well, either way, she puts the whole thing out, but then as soon as the fog of the, the, fog of the <laughs> extinguisher clears, it looks like nothing happened. Nothing mm-hmm. was ever wet. Although there is an insert later where you still see water pooling on the table. Yeah. I think that wasn't on purpose. But, um, but the recording is pretty haunting. I, I like it. It's just like this voice describing like... Uh, I think they, they use the word like albatross. Yeah, which is like, like bad weird luck, like bad wizardry omen. words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then now the, the board again just says Dane. It doesn't say Six Must Die anymore. Um, and then at the morgue where they've brought uh, Dick Baxter's corpse... Um, uh, it wakes up and Jamie Lee Curtis is left alone in the room with it mm-hmm. but isn't paying attention and it grabs a scalpel off of a table and starts to approach her and she freaks out and screams. Everybody runs into the room and apparently the corpse just collapsed and carved the word three into the mm-hmm. floor implying that six must die, three on the sea grass have already been killed so right. there's three left to kill. And what is the lesson that we learn here? Don't give a corpse a scalpel. Always pay attention in a morgue. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good, too. Um, uh, Nick decides that uh, he should get in touch with Kathy and let her know that Al is officially missing, mm-hmm. that he was on board this boat. And they're in, like, a bar where he tells her this. But uh, And she's obviously freaking out because her husband's missing, and the dog was barking all night, so she's already, like, stressed, and she has right. so much going on. But she is trying to push it all out of her head and just focus on getting this stuff done. But she feels terrible that, like, the whole night she was mad at Al for not coming home and taking care of the dog when it turns out he might have been dead the whole yeah. time. It probably is dead. Yeah. And uh, the also important in the scene with the morgue is that the, the temperature drops rapidly. Right. And, when the body is waking. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing that happened on the seagrass. Correct. Yeah. The, the, the thermometer was broken at 20 degrees. Um, and the doctor also relays that the body of the guy they brought in had been in, in the water for over a month, at right. least. Yeah, because he says, oh, you remember those kids that drowned on that shipwreck? Like, they were under the water 10 days. I would swear he was under for a Longer. month. Yeah. yeah. Wait, um, they, they weren't implying that those kids were also, no. like, attacked or anything. Unrelated yeah, accident. Uh, I yeah, I think it was just the rocky, okay. the dangerous waters. Dan calls Stevie's show um, and says... Oh, hey, how's it going? I don't have any information for you. And she's like, oh, well, that's not going to help my broadcast. But um, she's trying to warn him about a glowing fog mm-hmm. that uh, she knows has caused problems. She heard on the radio earlier in the day about the seagrass um, and the people dying on it. And she's trying to warn him about it because she can see this glowing fog from her lighthouse. 
And he's like making fun of her and just like, haha, what are you talking about? And she's like, I'm watching it right now. It's coming to where you are, where his like observation building right. is. And uh, he's just like, okay, whatever, whatever you say. Anyway, there's something glowing outside. I gotta go. I gotta go. There's someone at the door. <laughs> anyway, I gotta go. Someone at the door. I, I like, I like that they have to knock. Like they can't just. Well, sometimes they seem to break open windows and stuff, but it, they're the, they're very polite poltergeists. I don't know. I always felt like knocking is rude, though. Like, if there's a doorbell, at least try it. I guess we don't know for sure. But they did uh, try a doorbell at Andy's house. They did. That's right. Yeah, they did. They did ring the bell. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the, one of the reasons I want to think I want to bring up about the cold was, uh, but that's the that's what generates the fog. Right. The, the, the fact moisture that, in the air. Yeah, the, 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 there's, they, they create such a field of cold around these ghosts that it, it's condensing all the air wherever they go. There is no water in this air! <laughs> uh, and, and, but he's still on the phone with Stevie. Like it's, he's yeah, like he like sets his phone down and walks away like, hold on, somebody's pranking me, gotta go die. <laughs> and uh, he goes and answers the door and gets murdered mm-hmm. while she's listening. So she freaks out because she can hear this happening and just starts telling the radio audience, like, my son is at home. You need to, like, someone go get him, even though she left him with an adult. Yeah, Mrs. Corbett's. Yeah. And so she's like, just drive to wherever my house is and take my son. He's home alone. It's like, I hope there's no pedophiles listening to your program. (laughs) Like, my son is alone. There's no one to protect him. I left him with a feeble old neighbor woman. Um, so they go there and ring the doorbell. Apparently the pirates heard the program. Right. And she's watching the fog close in on her house, which is also on the coastline. She can see all of this from mm-hmm. from her radio station. And she's also, at the same time, she's like, someone go to my house and get my son. I can't do it. I have to stay on the air because well, these oldies aren't going to play themselves. Well, I, I, I like it too. It's like a very War of the Worlds kind of broadcast. Like she's like... Like it's crossing Fourth Street, you know, yeah. it's moving up. Like she's like, able to, like she has a bird's eye view of everything. Yeah, because she's on top of the, she's on the bottom of the top of the. Yeah, world. She's, <laughs> she literally can't even see the town from where she is, but she's telling them exactly what's underwater with the tide. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's just floating around. It's coming up on the main street. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the fog rings the doorbell. And uh, Mrs. Kobritz is like, why don't you go in your room for now? And goes to answer the door and just gets murdered. Yeah, why Why does she answer the door? I don't know. She's so adamant about, like, protecting him and, like, close your windows. Don't, yeah. don't you know, like, do all these things. With it. I'm going to go answer the door. But they kill Mrs. Kobritz and then move into the house. And uh, the shadowy figures are getting close to the kid when Nick just busts open the opposite window mm-hmm. and pulls the kid through the shattered window. <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> looks super dangerous. <laughs> But this is the point at which they give up by knocking, because everyone else has answered the door, but the That's kid true. does it, and they yeah. start to smash the door down. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, so they get the kid out of there, throw him in the car with Jamie Lee Curtis, and drive. Basically, the fog chases everyone, except for Stevie, to the church. Stevie's mm-hmm. stuck at the radio station. And, and all the other townspeople. Right. Yeah, everyone is there, uh, because that's where they're unveiling the statue and doing the celebration but, but they all the townspeople vanish because it's yeah, just everybody's gone except for Sandy like the six and main J- characters and janet right. lee and yeah. then they get to the the church and then you have nick and liz get there and andy and the and the priest basically mm-hmm. that's everybody and adrian bravo in the lighthouse right um and so she's still trying to give everyone updates on where the fog is and they're like literally like 
listening live and making U-turns as she tells them that a street is being <laughs> taken over. There's a lot of really cool visual effects here that actually kind of threw me off because like it's a it's a comp job of a city street plus maybe a miniature yeah. of fog being blown through a, a probably fully black or like matte black replication so it can of the roll street. over it so yeah it's actually matching the texture of the street as it rolls toward camera and it's a very convincing effect um it cuts off the the power yeah like it, the fog gets into the generator yeah and it, it's just basically trying to shut the whole town down as on its way to this church um so the ghosts meanwhile have basically swarmed the the lighthouse mm-hmm. and the power has gone out like you said the generator has been roasted and so she goes to start up like a backup generator mm-hmm. to get the electricity to come back. Um, and they end up, the ghosts end up chasing her to the roof of the lighthouse. And she's like literally fighting off two of them at the same time. But she's not kicking at them, which bothers me when it's happening. Because it's just like, just kick them off the roof. <laughs> like the, your legs are pointed at the bad guys. And, and she's just like swinging at them with her hand. One of them hooks her. Yeah, in the neck. In the neck. And I thought, I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting her to go. But then she just kind of doesn't react to that afterward. Um, but back at the church, they decide, you know what? There were some other pages in this diary. Maybe I should keep reading. And then he's like, basically finds out that the gold is there in the church. And that mm-hmm. if you give it back to Ghost Blake, then yeah. everyone will leave you alone. And, and where was it hidden? Two right, inches right behind there. where the diary <laughs> Yeah. If he'd have just inspected the hole a little closer, he would have already found it. But uh, it's literally been... All the gold has been melted down into a crucifix, which feels just like doubly insulting to the memory of the people who's yeah. like, we took all of your gold and then made it into the symbol of what we believe in. But I obviously don't because I orchestrated all your murders. Mm-hmm. But um, that thing is huge. Yeah, There's takes, no way in hell that guy would be able to himself, carry that yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, I mean, the, the, the cross was, I mean, it was probably, it probably you know, weighed two, as much two as or three holder. feet, you know. If not more. Yeah. But he, so he's just lifting it with his arms and he walks it out to where all these like ghost pirates are walking yeah. through. And uh, he calls to Blake yeah, specifically. Says, Blake, I have your gold. I've come to return your gold. And the person playing Ghost Blake, do you see who it is? Yeah, Rob Bottin. <laughs> Rob Bottin is playing Ghost Blake, who does all of John Carpenter's cool special effects. Yeah, and uh, also some for Joe Dante. Like oh, the, that's The true. Howling and Explorers yeah. and... Good stuff. Um, but yeah, he's playing the ghost character here. And uh, he gives Ghost Blake the gold, and then all the ghosts disappear. But I love the effect of the, the really brightly washed out cross. When, yeah. it's, when it's in their hands, just... Because it's the only you thing you can tell that's they're bright. hitting it with a spotlight, though, because it, there's a reflection of it on the wall. As yeah, it's yeah, walking yeah. Around but it. but it's just it's just so intensely bright, but yeah. you can still see everything else. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very it's very uh, precise lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, everything everything is kind of like it's like okay, yeah. It's and done. Barbo is like on the roof of her radio station, and all the ghosts are just gone. And she's like, oh, I guess I can climb down now. I'm I'm also bleeding from the jugular, but mm-hmm. I guess I can climb down now. And uh, basically, everyone is suddenly gone, and Father Malone is there by himself, and he's like, why not me? Even though the answer is, you gave the gold back in mm-hmm. accordance with the d- explanation in the diary. But then Blake shows up, and it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I missed one. Thank <laughs> God you reminded me, because I was about to disappear for 100 years. But uh, here, and then he stabs him, or cuts his head Cuts, cuts his head off. Yeah, See, he but, basically... that, and that, but that makes six then again, so like... Right. Even though he's got his gold back, he's still like out for vengeance. Yeah. Well, he's he is he that was the sixth death. So he got his gold back and he killed the six people. 
Well, and see, uh, and that's when, again, when I get back into the rules of these ghosts, because Father Malone is a direct descendant of one of the conspirators. According to the novelization, everyone who dies is a direct descendant. All right. It's not cleared up in the movie. Yeah. It's not specified in the movie. But it's quite I feel possible like, with who dies in the movie that that is yes, true. Yes, <laughs> it's entirely possible with who dies in the movie. But if you knew that to begin with, you would know that Jamie Lee Curtis is safe. That Andy is safe, mm-hmm. that Adrian Barbeau is safe, even right. though they're getting attacked. Yeah, why yeah. are they going after these ones that aren't? I don't know. Descendants. Because the rules. Because they're those are the lepers that lost their eyeballs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the but yeah. lepers that lost his way. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone here is now blinder <laughs> for having <laughs> for having lost their eyeballs. Um, but yeah, that, that's the end of the movie. Is him chopping off uh, Holbrook's head. Classic horror Really solid. Twist. And John Carpenter does this a lot with his like last shots of the movie. Or mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, here's that other thing you wanted to happen. Um, this was his fourth feature after Dark Star, which we talked about before. Precinct 13, which also had Atkins. Yeah. And uh, Halloween, obviously, which also had Jamie Lee Curtis. This was her second movie. Um, Deborah Hill, who co-wrote this with John Carpenter, um, also wrote Halloween 1 and 2. And she came back to write Escape from L.A., but those are the only John Carpenter movies that she wrote. Right, right. Um, Adrienne Barbeau was Stevie Wayne on the radio. Uh, she's in four John Carpenter movies, presumably all during their marriage. Their marriage, yeah. Um, so she was before this, she was in a TV movie called Someone's Watching Me. She was in this, and she was in Escape from New York and The Thing. Um, but she also appears in a lot of horror movies. Uh, she was in Cannibal Run, which isn't a horror movie, but she was in Creepshow um swamp thing she was the uncredited voice of central in judge dread huh um oh when you said the thing i was like there's no women in the thing but then i just looked her up and i was like oh she's the voice of the computer yeah, yeah. she she michelle barreted the, the yeah exactly <laughs> there's no women in the thing um yeah that wouldn't be a safe situation for a woman to be in, <laughs> in, in the middle of the antarctic with a bunch of creepy dudes um she also adrian barbeau was uh in the recent reboot of creep show uh that uh greg nicotero has been producing and uh she was she also had a part on dc's swamp thing show um because she had appeared on the the original swamp right, thing. right um jamie lee curtis yeah this is her second movie after halloween um she was also an uncredited computer voice in a john carpenter movie which was escape from new york <laughs> um and obviously she's and a bunch of really cool stuff. Trading Places, Fish Called Wanda, True Lies. Yeah. To name a few. Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously people know who she is. And she just started a new trilogy of Halloween movies that John Carpenter is producing. Um, she, the first one is out already and the next two are going to come out on the next two Halloweens. Yeah, I can't believe that they're making even more. I think more David Gordon Green's doing all three of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if Danny McBride is writing all three of them because he wrote uh, the first one. And it's it's what Halloween Kills or something like that. Yeah, uh, Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. I think are the three. Um, and Janet Lee, obviously, her mother, uh, who was in Psycho, mm-hmm. um, and Bye Bye Birdie and Manchurian Candidate. Right, a lot right. of uh, old school classics. Uh, John Houseman, who's only in that that first scene, is great. Yeah, and and obviously, like I, I we reference Scrooge, Scrooge, right? Because uh, I I thought he was a more prominent actor, 
But I guess he's, he's just it's more mostly known for, from the paper chase. Yeah, but I guess it's. But he's he's like a huge. He was a huge producer, and he's a stage actor mm-hmm. a lot of the time too. And uh, and so like I was really unfamiliar with his career. Yeah. Other than seeing him and things like, and even like the Naked Gun, where he's the right. driving yeah. school instructor. But uh, he has an Oscar for the paper chase in 1973, which was only his third film, even though he was like 71 years old when that movie came out. Um, but for a long time, he was like the head of the acting classes at Juilliard. Um, and so he taught like a bunch of like famous actors, mm. uh, like Robin Williams, I think was one of his students. Um, and uh, so th- Paper Chase was his third movie. Before that, he had done Frankenheimer's Seven Days in May in 1963 and Orson Welles's Too Much Johnson in 38. <laughs> That's my high school nickname. Um but yeah, so from 1938 to 1963 is a huge gap in your feature film appearances. And then from there to 71, another eight years, and then nine years to this movie. So it's odd, uh, very sporadic. But he's also in Three Days of the Condor and Rollerball. And yeah, yeah. he'll show up later this year in Holy Moses. Tom Atkins as Nick Castle, which we talked about already. Yeah. Um, well, he was he, in the third Halloween movie. He was in the movie. third Halloween movie. He also appears in Escape from New York. Um, as well as like a million other B oh yeah movies. yeah lots of like, crazy horror and sci-fi movies um and he'll show up again uh in about three weeks uh eight episodes from now for the ninth configuration um charles cyphers is uh dan o'bannon the guy calling in with all the uh weather updates he's also in halloween and precinct 13 before this and uh he plays an interrogator in loaded weapon one which i need to rewatch because I like that movie. Even the title makes me laugh still. Uh, I like him in uh, Night of the Creeps. I don't know that one. Uh, it's a it's a weird little movie. It's a Fred Decker, so it's like oh, okay. the, from uh, Monster Squad. Monster Squad, yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a it's a weird little horror film. But he's great in it. Um, and yeah, Sandy, the assistant to Kathy, uh, is in, is uh, Nancy Kais, but she's credited as Nancy Loomis, which Loomis is obviously a Halloween reference. Oh, uh, okay. I don't. Um, I don't get the reference. Doctor Loomis. Oh, Doctor Loomis. Okay. Yeah, the Donald Pleasance character from Halloween, who is played by Malcolm McDowell in the remake. Um, but yeah, she was in Precinct Thirteen and the first three Halloweens. Um, Hal Holbrook as Father Malone um, is the is the second Deep Throat that we've dealt with. The first <laughs> one was in the porn film Deep Throat, and Hal Holbrook played Deep Throat in All the President's Men. So <laughs> both technically. <laughs> Deep Throat actors after Harry Reams from uh, To All a Good Night. And, and Hal Holbrook. Mostly man. known for playing Mark Twain. Uh, I mean, he's had a career that spans like 50 years and he's still doing stuff. Yeah. But yeah. but he's like, I mean, he, he's, he's like Sons of Anarchy. Right. He, 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 he's just around all the time. He'll play the president later this year in a movie called The Kidnapping of a President. And uh, he was in with a creep show about the crate with the monster. Oh, that's such a great one, too. Um, And then there's this guy, uh, George Buck Flower, who played Tommy Wallace, one of the three guys on the boat. And his career is just fascinating. I'm so jealous of the parts that he's played. So he's in four other John Carpenter movies. They work together a lot. But he plays a bum in Back to the Futures 1 and 2. He (laughs) plays a drifter in They Live. He plays a homeless man (laughs) in Wishmaster with our friend Tammy Lauren. Um, he plays a security guard in Mac and Me. <laughs> he played a 49er on Briscoe County Jr. 
And he plays oh. a character named Norville in Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's just an amazing <laughs> career. I think Mac and me and Tammy and the T-Rex are the same director. He's not the bum, the red, the former mayor in Back to the Future, is he? No, he's just credited as bum, so okay. I would assume he's not red. But he's he's literally in the first and second movie, so I would imagine that it's a significant enough part that they brought him back to play the character again, unless he's literally in some of the reused footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, how would you say this is aged? I think this is pretty solid. Yeah, I think it's done pretty well. I think I, it's still a fun horror movie. I mean, to be honest, I, a lot of the it had a really it had really cool shots in it, and I think that that's, that's just John Carpenter and Rob Botton are just amazing. Well, well and Dean Kundi did the was the DP. Oh, okay, yeah. Also, Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's 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 these films and some of the other ones around this time that John Carpenter were doing that was defining, you know, the horror genre and, like, establishing what people do still to this day yeah. with some of those shots. Okay, The Fog, is this, uh, is this a must-watch? I say, yeah, I think you should watch it. I, I agree. I don't think there is a don't watch it in no, the yeah, Carpenter it's, it's yeah. a it's, a it's a watch. Well, yeah. I mean, later at Carpenter, you can, we can talk. I disagree. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Already. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is yeah. definitely I, worth I, checking out. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and would watch it again. Yeah. Well, I think um, Letterboxd, for me, that uh, this might go on top. I, I still like uh, my brilliant career better, but otherwise this is in second place for me, above American Gigolo. Uh, it's definitely above American Gigolo. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I feel bad that I'm always this... Uh, but I'm with Jesse again on this. <laughs> Richard and I just have similar tastes yeah, in like film. We're, we're, it'll, it'll happen. I don't like what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you guys, are, you, guys are, you're, you still have my brilliant career on top for both of you. Yeah, brilliant yeah. career is still okay. number one. I think just in terms of like, I think the pacing is really solid in this. There were parts of my brilliant career for me that dragged a little bit compared to this. But I feel like, um, yeah, I think I'm comfortable putting this on top. Um, I think that's everything for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said many times, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you find the time, please leave us a review, and we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will join us next time when we will be discussing Hero at Large which Wikipedia describes thusly. Steve Nichols, John Ritter, is a struggling New York City actor who accepts the job of posing as a comic book hero for a movie he's hired to help promote. After he stops a robbery while wearing the Captain Avenger costume, his life becomes unexpectedly complicated. Nichols decides to continue playing superhero and discovers that a hero's life is more complex than he expected. So it sounds like a comedy kick-ass type story uh we leave you now with the audio for the trailer for hero at large somewhere in the heart of this city in a small shop closing for the night a robbery is in progress but help is on the way mind if i drop in Captain Avenger. john ritter is steve nichols how about that 
hero at large. Who are you, J. Edgar Hoover? I'm Captain Avenger. Such a nice boy. He can't fly. Tomorrow I'm leaping over a tall building at a single bound. Wrong guy. I'm expanding. He can't bend steel. I'm in big trouble. Fighting crime is a dirty business. But when there's danger, he can't turn away. You're a crazy man. He dresses up in a comic book suit and goes around doing good deeds. Hold it right there. Don't make another move. If they're going to use real bullets, I think I'll retire. He's loved by women. I'm not always this easy. I bet you say that to all the girls. Cheered by men. They want their superhero and all he stands for to hold on to. And worshipped by children. Captain Avenger. Yes, sir. Let's see you fly. A hero's work is never done. He's nutty, but noble. I'm counting to three, Milo. Who the hell is that? This is Robert Redford. He's dizzy, but dedicated. People putting themselves on the line for other people. That's what being a hero is. But he's really just an actor who got carried away with a role. It's just like any other part. You've got to really get into it. Captain Avenger. Missions anyway. Your agent? I took a third-rate movie, made it the biggest hit of the year with a simple gimmick. Captain Avenger comes to your neighborhood. Authorities are still wondering who the man in the red, blue, and yellow costume with a large A on his chest really is. It's me, Steve Nichols. All he knows about heroes is that people need one. Uh, yeah, I heard it a couple of times. All he could do was make himself hero at large. Well, I think it's really terrific. John Ritter, Ann Archer. Bert Convy and Kevin McCarthy, Hero at Large. At last, help is on the way.